Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hey, y'all. It's currently Tuesday night in Charleston, and wow, today was wild. Two big things I want to share with you before we get into it. One, Corey Fleming was sentenced to 46 months in federal prison today. He was taken into custody by U.S. Marshals after voluntarily surrendering. I've been doing mental gymnastics all day trying to process what went down in court. But ultimately, right now, I'm going to rest easy tonight, knowing that since this investigation began in 2019, three powerful men have been convicted of crimes, and that in itself is a big deal. Which brings me to my next announcement. Speaking of the past four years, I am so excited to finally announce that my first book, titled Blood on Their Hands, Murder, Corruption, and the Fall of the Murdoch Dynasty, will be released this November. I wrote this book with the incredibly talented, hardworking, and pesky journalist Carolyn Murnick. Blood on Their Hands will take readers on the roller coaster ride that led to the collapse of the Murdoch dynasty. It's a memoir with an inside look at the Murdoch saga and its sinister web of deceit, theft, and murder. But all of that is expected since I was so close to the case, and y'all already know most of that story by listening to the podcast. But what's not in the podcast I poured into this book? The stories I kept close because they were difficult to say out loud. I'll share more details about the book on social media and on this week's True Sunlight. But I just wanted to say thank you to our listeners and pesky Luna Shark supporters who helped make this lifetime dream of mine of being a published author come to life. And thank you to HarperCollins for believing in me. You can pre-order the book starting Wednesday, August 16th, or buy it from your favorite bookstore or online retailer when it releases November 14th. We also plan some amazing content for our Luna Shark Premium members that publishes November 14th to coincide with the book's release. Visit bloodontheirhandsbook.com to learn more. Now let's unpack everything that happened today. Cups up, guys. Cups up. Cups up. up. From Charleston, South Carolina, here we are. Live from Charleston, right after the Corey Fleming hearing where he got taken away in cuffs at the end. That was very By his own volition. That he wanted to. Yeah, he wanted his sentence to start now. Before we started recording, you said, Eric, that that's how you would do it. Why is that? Because I just think if I know what my sentence is, I want to get started. You're not living, you're dying if you're just living in limbo, waiting for the phone call to come from the Bureau of Prisons to say, okay, here's your report date, and and you report to Jessup or Gainesville, Florida. I just want to start getting that sentence behind me. My my friend, uh, who I told you is a felon, my best friend, he was the same way. 
he pled guilty and said, I'm going away right now. I'm starting my sentence right now. He had a year and a day. And uh, I just think that's the best way. Now, the state, the way the state does it, where they take you away immediately seems so abrupt, you're not ready for it. But, you know, Corey's had a couple months after he pled guilty to come to grips with the fact that he um, is probably going to be incarcerated. Now, there was a part of him today that he was could have held out hope. Is he going to give me probation? No jail time. But when Gurgle said those words, look, when you're incarcerated, he said it twice, you know, you can begin to heal your family and do all this. I think that was a real stark, uh, abrupt reality for Corey. Yeah, I was very surprised the first time he said that. And then he said it again. And I was like, "Okay, Corey's going to prison. He is. This is happening. This is what's going on. Wow. And I agree. I, I really respect him just surrendering and I think I respect the whole presentation today from his lawyer um, how they structured it how they scripted it um, how he spoke last he spoke from the heart Uh, it was a broken man that wasn't an act couldn't have been an act Um, and it was unusual that his family didn't speak I'd like to hear your opinion on that why were you okay with that? You think that was a smart move, Liz, Mandy? I think every move that Debbie Barbier made today was flawless. I think that it was completely planned out months in advance and strategized to the max. Um, she never once repeated a point. I never got annoyed at like... You know what I thought was great? Um, there was a priest there or, or a minister, but he didn't speak. And I thought that was brilliant because they always have somebody from the cloth speak in a sentence. And they had nobody speak from a religious standpoint, which I thought was unique. Basically, it sounded like she got a representative audience of his friends and family. And none of his family spoke, actually, not even his parents. But so he had like 62 letters that were submitted prior to yesterday. And then she said she got more. Yeah, more before the hearing which is sort of daunting when you know that uh, Russell's took his hearing took seven hours. So you see 62 letters and you're like, holy God, how long are we going to be here? So that's why I think I appreciate that Debbie took the main points and each person that came in to speak, you have an audience full of people. I mean, there were lawyers in there for him. There were people from, it looked like the 14th Circuit Solicitor's Office in there supporting him. Uh, You had like a broad swath of people, but every single person who went up there made a point like he's in Bible group with me once a week. He fixed my pipes. Uh, I'm a client. Right. A lot of landlord tenant stuff. A lot of landlords must be a feudal landlord down there in Buford. He must own a lot of properties. Well, there's a lot of rumors going on. there are a lot of rumors out there in Beaufort County about the YMCA and like what 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 kind of rumors? group of friends is like. I'm not saying them interesting rumors, <laughs> interesting ones, but uh, it's a social gathering spot. It's a social gathering spot. One would say, yeah. Um, but as far as yeah, I want to know how many. I don't. I didn't know he owned as many rental properties as apparently he does. I don't remember ever seeing that in his dossier. Yeah, and I don't know about y'all, but I had a couple moments of really sitting back today and questioning basic questions of life, (laughs) one of which is what makes a good person and what is a 
proper punishment in a situation like this because it is extremely complicated and and I also started to think of what's worse, somebody who shows their face to the world who like doesn't volunteer, doesn't like is kind of a, an asshole to people and then steals from clients. And then so you would people would maybe know or have signs or like blindside. people. Right. I felt sometimes with Corey and some lawyers like him, what they do can be transactional. It's it's designed to help them look a certain way, but it benefits them professionally. Right. Is it really genuine? And I don't want to pass judgment on him that it wasn't genuine, but I thought what Justin said really was strong when he said, Judge, let's look at this. This is eight years worth of criminality. This isn't just one time. This is eight years worth. And I think that righted the ship because not to say that Judge Gergel um, isn't perceptive, but he was sure buying a lot of dope that they were slinging from that side of the courtroom. Let's talk about Judge Gergel a little bit because... Oh, I got pistol whipped by him today. A little bit. You did. Yeah. You started strong though, Eric. Uh, So going into this hearing today, we found out that we would not be allowed to bring our laptops and phones, which seems like... A minor, yeah, kind of. Not only that, they didn't set up a media room for one of the most public legal matters our state is ever going to have. Right. And it's two weeks after a very similar case took place. And he knew that there was going to be a big showing on both sides of the aisle. It was all the same media. Like, I looked around and there was the same amount. It was all the same people that we saw two weeks ago. And it was just amazing that the federal government didn't anticipate that, apparently. Or they did, and they didn't want to encourage Corey's people to go on all day. Because, you know, at the beginning when Judge Gargle said it in both Russell's and Corey's, where he was like, I'll let anyone who wants to speak, speak. So he's giving him that. Uh, benefit. Yeah, but that doesn't answer the media question. Why didn't he have a room for you guys? I think it's I, I think it's because ultimately in federal court transparency does not matter to them. And I don't think that federal court is the people's court. I think it's basically a secret court right now. I don't now. think yeah we realize it's how not secret unreasonable. It's, not an unreasonable it's, it's, conclusion. Yeah I've really thought about this in the last few weeks especially there's just so many things that the American people could learn from being able to see what's going on in federal court, um, being able to hear what's going on in federal court, being able to hear the victims' statements. They've missed out on that. Eric, what did you think of the 46-month sentence in comparison to Russell's 84-month sentence? It was more than I thought he would get, to be honest. Um, more than Corey would get. Yeah, I, we. I thought he would get... 36 months. And I thought that would have been um, just given the fact that he's staring down the barrel of the state court trial coming next month. And he's either going to plead or go to trial. And those charges, you know, as Judge Gergel said, they could be 30 year charges. They're rarely bank fraud and all those things. And if, if he did not have the backstop of the state court charges, then I would have said the sentence was low. But 46 months, knowing that he's going to get out of federal prison, and then go right over to state prison is uh, pretty aggressive sentencing. Um, Judge Gergel was a more short-tempered today, I thought, than he was in Russell Lafitte's uh, sentence. I don't think he was um, 
receptive to what the victims were saying today as much as he was receptive to the, what the victims said during Russell Lafitte. It's like he just totally, it was like perfunctory. Okay, let the victims speak and then they go sit down. It wasn't resonating with him the way when Corey's people spoke on his behalf. Judge was rapt attention, was listening, taking notes, uh, you know, told Debbie Barbieri, read 62 letters twice. Yeah, that's a little I, I felt excessive. That, I felt that he didn't feel like we were victims, like he saw the same people in the courtroom again, and you've already spoken once, because we are the same people that spoke. At the Lafitte trial, it was the Plyler sisters, but Eric Bland, and then, you know, the Pickneys again, and Justin Bamberg. And I just didn't think he had the bandwidth for us today, at least for me. He clearly stood me down. I really was not surprised. I guess my opinion of Judge Gurgle continues to change, and I wonder if he's reacting a little bit to public opinion of him because he did get beaten up over the length of Russell's sentence. Uh, But I think— But he tried to justify it by saying that he thought that the guidelines, which we all thought were low, Mm 9 to 11— based on him being convicted of crimes that would have been in excess of 30 years. He comes out on the bench today and gratuitously adds, and oh, by the way, I thought the uh, uh, probation parole got it wrong. I thought those guidelines were too large. Which is ridiculous because then he used the example with Corey that like he's already in essence gotten a downward variance because he pleaded guilty to a lesser charge with a, obviously a much less sentence, like much fewer month sentence. What am I trying to say? It was 46 months to 58 or something like that. So today's he's so the guidelines for Corey were 46 to 67, I believe. Right. But the issue was that the uh, charge that he could have pleaded guilty to would have carried the up to 30, 30 with, for the bank but with a guideline of, I think it was 51 to uh, something else. I can't remember what the, the higher number was, but um, his point was that like the government has already caught him a break by allowing that lesser charge to be pleaded to. And he mentioned Russell Lafitte's charges of with these very serious sentences attached to them. Russell was found guilty by a jury of his peers why then is nine to 11 years not enough for him if it's that's a third of what the maximum was? Nine to 11 years for a guy that didn't cooperate, didn't plead guilty, did Russell TV, which is thumbing the nose at the court system, didn't show contrition at trial. After the trial, fired his attorneys and blamed it on his attorneys, blamed it on the judge in one of his post trial motions and said, Judge, you screwed it up when you discharged two jurors. I mean, what more could Russell Lafitte do but spit a loogie in Richard Gurgle's face and, to get more of a sentence? I mean, I don't know what more you could do right. to get that fit within the guidelines. Yeah, and Judge Gurgle talked a lot about precedent today and about how important it is to deter other lawyers from doing the same thing and to to make a make a statement with Corey's sentence about other lawyers. You could tell that he took that personally. I'm a lawyer and you abused your power as a lawyer and we need to make sure other lawyers don't do this. But on the flip side of that, what about bankers and what about people that use conservatorships to take to take advantage of vulnerable people in the way that Russell right. Pete did? Right. Why why not set a precedent for that? Like why not put your foot down for that too? It's like he didn't care as much about that and that does not make any sense to me because it I wasn't mean, as per it wasn't as personal to him as Corey's crime was. 
Corey's crime was personal to him, just like you said, because he was a lawyer. And he knows that one bad act like Corey that he did could kill it for a long time. It plays into the canards or lawyers, they're thieves and they back, double deal on their clients. But he didn't seem to be so troubled by Russell. Because you guys remember when I argued Russell, I said, the integrity of the banking system is, is at play here. Our entire banking system... And I don't think he, it really moved him. Well, like when Corey got up there, and this is the vast difference, like Russell did not come across as apologetic. Uh, he basically was his last ditch effort. And it was like one of those legal sorries, like to the extent that I can apologize. Yeah, I, I really can't because I have <laughs> other charges against me. Well, Corey had the same thing. Remember, right. Mark Moore said Russell wanted to say more. Right. But he can't because he's got these state court charges. Corey said it all. He said it, it was all. on me. I stole. I let it's them on dance. On my shoulders. On my shoulders. I make no excuses for this to this right. court. And that was really big of him. Yes. I will say that. And I feel like hopefully it'll make things smoother in the future and stay court. I don't. Maybe. I, I'm really interested if he's going to plead guilty to that. Like what? Because we just saw a totally different Corey. Yes, today. I think he's going to plead guilty, and I think he, they're going to leave it up to the court. I don't think there's going to be a recommended sentence like you usually get. I think they're going to leave it up to Judge Newman, and that could be risky. That could be risky. And we'll be right back. As y'all know, we're gearing up for our national tour. All the planes, trains, and automobiles can be stressful. But do you know what's going to keep me comfy and confident along the way? You guessed it. Viore. The Viore Winter Collection is chock full of travel gear for any temperature or adventure. I'm planning to strut down Rodeo Drive in my Elevation Trousers. Sophisticated silhouette, ultimate stretch, superior softness. That is my new travel mantra. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash COJ. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash COJ. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash COJ and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. I just, I do want to keep going on the Judge Gurgle thing because there was a, there was a very tangible difference between, first of all, let me just say, the people that spoke for Corey had concrete things to say about him. They didn't just repeat that he like helped at the concession stand. Every single person advanced a fact about him. Not only did he uh, take it upon himself to volunteer for Habitat Humanity instead of wallowing, uh, he also went to community college to learn how to be Bob the Builder. Like, these are all the things, like, every single person had something that was, like, similar, but, like, different. But it was something that you could, it wasn't just he's a family man. They did say that, he's but. moving on. Yeah. Russell seems to be in disbelief that this is happening to him and that someday he's going to be a banker again. Corey recognized oh, this is in the wind for me as being a lawyer. I got to. I got to be a carpenter or I got to start selling insurance or whatever. He's moving on. He's a guy that says, I'm going to start my sentence and I got to start the rest of my life. Russell seems to be just in neutral thinking that all this is a joke and he's going to get to become a banker again. 
Right. Don't you get that feeling? Oh, totally. And again, that's what's so shocking in the difference in sentences and how Russell got away with a lot less than he deserved, in my opinion. No question. (laughs) And I just... I can't, again, when we talk about precedent and we talk about making a statement, I'm surprised that Judge Gurgle didn't come to think of, like, what about the privileged defendants out there who, like, do I want to send that message that you can all do exactly what Russell did and still get a very light sentence? And that's what I don't understand. His sentence was 12 months more than what they offered him by a plea. It's, and, he, and again, no remorse. Tardappy gets, he'll get down to five years. And if we want to correct people, if we want to really like, if the whole point of the justice system is to make people better and actually make them not repeat their mistakes again and make them uh, be actually remorseful and make them better human beings, then the difference between Corey and Russell is just night. I, I do believe that Corey has realized that what he done, what he did was wrong and that he, and I'm with judge Gurgle. He will never do it again. I believe there's a likability factor to Corey. that doesn't exist in Russell. Russell is a, fundamentally unlikable man. He is. You know who he reminds me of is one of those like mid 2000s sort of independent movies where you have like a maybe a guy who's too old to be a grocery store cashier and like an orange vest but his dad owns the grocery store and he's just sort of the the derpy guy in town that you know isn't very nice to his wife that he just has that vibe to him where you just you do not want to fight for this guy. He's you know in the movie that I'm making up right now, he's having an affair with another cashier because he's using his like tiny bit of power to like, that's, that's the vibe of Russell. He's definitely that vibe. For Unlikeable. Me. I thought there were two things that were worthwhile to me today, which was worth me getting excoriated by the judge. One is, um, she said that he gave very good. Emily said he gave very good information about others. The word others was very telling to me. And where is that going to go? And then Judge Gurgle asked the question, do you believe he's told you the truth? And to hear a prosecutor who's always with a jaundice eye, she said he told us the absolute truth. So others is what we're looking at for because we're getting tired of the Russell, Alex, Corey show. And that we're, we, we don't believe and no one believes that it could only be them. There had to have been others that... Is it other lawyers? Is it other law firms? Is there are there judges? Are there other business people? Are there tow truck operators? Whatever. Who's fire first responders? Are they clued into all this, uh, you know, racket or whatever that that seemed to have been going on down there in Hampton County? So the word others and Corey telling the truth really resonated with me today. Well, you know, going back to what you said, Mindy, I think that I do believe that Corey's emotions today were genuine and he was the exact opposite he was very quiet soft-spoken uh just the picture of contrition but regardless of whether it's it's genuine or not i do think that he is the smartest one of all these guys and people said that about him from the beginning that Corey is the guy who actually did study in law school and i think we said that on murdoch murder's podcast that you take Alec because they do look similar you take Alec and you uh, give him a lot of vegetables and put him on a treadmill. That's Corey Fleming. It's almost like, you know, good brother, bad brother in a way. Like, 
Well, and that was something else that I was thinking, like, as we were sitting there listening to person after person, a single mother say, Corey, help me at my worst moment. And you never heard that about okay. Alex. So you're telling me they're, they're brothers. Correct. I, Corey oh. lived a life so different than what Alex lived. Right. There's never been a good story, guys. And you would have written a story about right. it. Right. What I was thinking about is how did they, is how persuasive and evil is Alex if he took a guy like Corey, Mm -hmm. who was a good person, and Liz and I were just talking about this before you got here. Moved him like a pawn. Right. And and do this for years. Like, he had to go to bed for nine years doing, knowing what he did to the Pinckney family and then repeating it again to the Satterfield family. But you but assume that nothing else was done in that bookend of nine years. I believe I that more that. was oh, done. Absolutely. Yeah. You don't just do right. it in 2010 and then it's done and then wake up in 2018 and say, let's start it all over again. I think it was a way of they. This was a way of practicing law. It's just again and again you're reminded that that boat crash in 2019 was everything. They were in the middle of the biggest heist of their lives, really truly, and and this completely screwed it up. And rereading that bar letter, you see these moments. Like it's not just that Corey like swears under oath that he didn't do these things. I started to number in the margins every time he says that he. Isn't to blame, and here's why. And I'm only like 20. I tried to read that today, Liz, and I was shut down. Okay, I know you did. It was like, well, not mine. You didn't try to read mine. You no. didn't see mine. Well, yeah, I did because you've given me the notes on that. I did. Yeah. Oh God, that would be the first version. The second version has numbers in the uh, okay. margin. <laughs> and then those numbers count. So I'm up to 50, and I'm only on page like 23. Technical <laughs> violation. Uh, maybe it was a slight violation, or. But it's, it didn't rise to the level well, of, like, of negligence. I did this. I didn't do this in Georgia yeah. was one of his defenses. Yeah. So like, but you just go through and you're like realizing that like he didn't do, even it's so simple as like making a phone call to Chad Westendorf to just like let him know about the money and, and stuff like that. So you're just like, it kind of hit home to me even more now. Just like, I think it's easy for us to lose sight of, and this is why it was important what you did. It's easy for us to lose sight hearing all these great things about Corey, which by the way, did you guys notice, like, it was like a laundry list of people. So it was, they talked about his housekeeper. She was one of the the letters. Uh, one of them was a bailiff. Yes. State trooper. Yes. I put a big star next to that one because of a plaintiff's attorney's relationship with some of our state troopers yes. here uh, is dodgy. Yes. I'm just going to say that and put that yeah. on the record. Right. That there are state troopers who have been complicit in helping plaintiff's attorneys, whether that's uh, helping them change the story of who was at fault in the crash. Or, or getting them a case. Or exactly, getting them a case and getting a, a kickback for that. And it, I'd love to see the State Highway Patrol deny that because good luck with that. Uh, what bothered me was that, the state trooper, um, court em- employees, uh he, going back to what you said about transactional, Played the system. It was, exactly. So yes, I believe that he is contrite right now. And it, I, I believe everything that happened today was genuine. But at the same time, he and Debbie pulled off, I don't uh, want to say heist. heist. I don't want to say that. It, like it was their intelligence got rewarded today. That's what I'll say. He was very smart about 
everything that he did, including not having Eve and the children speak today. That was a kindness. That was selfless. That was, you know, what you see as, wow, that's weird. The man's family didn't speak on his behalf. Mandy and I saw as a genuine kindness to your family not to humiliate them further and put them in this emotional and very stressful... You're thinking like it is normal people. I'm trying to look at it as a lawyer. We're thinking of it like Debbie Barbier. You're right. Because we're ladies and we get get it. I want to talk a lot more about that, but got to take a quick break and we will be right back. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I think the term that I would like to describe... Debbie's performance today would be emotionally intelligent. It was extremely emotionally intelligent from the beginning to the end. um, She thought everything through and like Liz and I were talking about today, which you thought it was, you thought differently, but Corey's family was all there and a decision was made at some point to not have any of them speak. Not to humiliate them further. Right. And he has kids and he has kids around Russell's Russell's kids age. And yeah, I I really thought about that. I kind of thought it was weird at first, but then we were talking about it and it just kind of hit like that. That is a selfless act. And to not wrap your kids up and to not force your kids to say something on the record that about your criminal activity, like, that was a really disgusting part about Russell's entire hearing. And it still bothers me today, which is again, if we really want to make change systemic change from all of this, and and if we really want to grow as better people who do not allow this type of corruption in our society, we need to teach children that what Russell did was not okay. And he was not teaching his children to do that more. So he was teaching his children that he was the victim and yeah, Corey sort of Corey stood up and took the medicine. You said it exactly like he he said, this is on me. The buck stops with me. I got to, I got to sing it. I got to bring it and I got to go walk to prison on my own. And, like, Debbie almost had, like, a literary – I hate to fangirl so much here, but, like, there's almost, like, a literary aspect to this because she was, like, foreshadowing, you know, that the letters to the judge that the people that spoke today got to speak about the deep shame that, that Corey felt. So by the time Corey spoke, you understood him to be somebody that was already uh, – deeply conflicted about who he, you know, who was faced with or had a reckoning with himself. Um, so that I like, it all just came together so perfectly. Well, do you, are you saying that Corey in a way is happy this happened, that he's broke the yoke, got freedom away from Alex and this lifestyle that maybe he didn't want to continue on with this lifestyle. And this was an opportunity for him to, break, to get this clean break that he couldn't get 
He was because well, he was stuck in Alex's vortex for so many I years. I kind of had a question about Russell because it, I was reminded uh, in that bar letter that Russell didn't. Um, Russell turned down the Satterfield case and gave it to Chad Westendorf. So, uh, who believes that Russell was too busy to take that? Not me. Absolutely not. Like, he did, what was he doing at the bank except greeting people? So I, I don't. He had believe, enough of the Alex show. I think he had had enough of the Alex show, and he's probably so angry that this has come back to haunt him. Whereas Corey has said, Corey's just faced reality, regardless, and he's he said to himself, "I've got to cut bait and cut my losses." And you know whether or not he truly feels that shame. I really truly hope that he did tell the government things that he knows because he has known Alex that we know things that he's done with Alec and from college onward, let's hope he, let's hope he, he, you know, put that on the table for the government. But it wasn't enough that they were willing to give him a downward departure. She said he got an accommodation, but we're not going to, I don't, he didn't give us enough that he should go, that you should give him below the uh, bottom end of the, uh, of the uh, scale. Mindy, did you feel like judge Gurgle was sort of, arguing with Emily Limes, Lime, I must call her Limestone, Limehouse today when she's trying to say like the, this, the government recommends 46 months and he kind of like got on her about the fact that they d- did allow him to plead to that lesser charge and yeah. it took on a really weird dynamic because it, it was almost like she was the defense attorney being like, well, no, he this, this is okay because... It, it felt like that he treated Debbie like she was the prosecutor and treated yeah, uh, right, family like and to me like we're the defense attorneys coming in with a criminal. Right. He acted like the defense attorney's judge, not yes. uh, the state's judge. No, I agree. And that was really weird. And uh, something I also have to say on the record that was just appalling to me is, again, somebody who just wants change out of this and just wants people to have a reckoning and just wants to take a look at it and say, he messed up. How do we get better and how do we move on? from this how do we not hurt people in the future from doing this is at the beginning when judge gurgle really chuckled about how many people were there to support Corey, and he said is there anybody left in beaufort today yeah. and it's like that shouldn't be funny this is an attorney in beaufort who like used to be well respected and what does it mean about our what does it mean about beaufort if they've filled the courtroom of supporters of him sorry these were all wealthy people yes, or again. yes so these are we're talking about people i didn't know if you noticed this but beaufort academy is the private school in beaufort where Corey sent his kids at least one of his kids i can't remember if he sent his son there but a lot of those people were beaufort accounting academy, academy parents and and uh there was one teacher from beaufort academy so we're not talking about when george gurgle makes that haha joke about is all of Beaufort here? I assure you, Beaufort looks different demographically than what you just saw in this yeah. courtroom. Right. Like it is not that you you what yeah. you saw was a tailgating party, high society Beaufort, yeah. old school Beaufort of like people who were born and raised, and their grandparents are from Beaufort. And he's Mr. Civil Rights, by the way. Like Judge Gurgle wrote the book. Like he, I mean, he is he is a judge who thinks about these things. Oh yeah, and he's a historian. He's he writes incredibly books. Incredibly smart in that regard. So for him to just make, like, it just shows you how ingrained this sort of, like, I don't want to put Corey on this level of redemption because I kept thinking to myself, like, would these people in this room give the same grace to somebody of color or, you know, a poor defendant who comes in there who has nobody in the courtroom for him because they don't know that they can, like, get this many letters. Well, you heard and- what I said, you know, it's much easier if the person in front of us is a criminal that we want to hate. 
We, we, it's easier if we dislike that person and they don't look like us, they don't talk like us, they're dangerous. It's easy to hate them. But here you have this guy in front of you that is likable, but you have to look past him and start looking at the crime that he committed. It's about the crime. It's not about the person. Although Bert Gurgle made it about the person. And you consider the need of the crime, which I think about a lot, which is like a lot of robberies are committed because people are in dire straits and they have no options to feed their children, to pay their bills. Right. And that's that was another thing that like as I was starting to feel bad for Corey and his family today, I kind of had to take a step back and be like, but he did this when he was so privileged and he had everything in the world going for him. And he still stole from these people and he's still enabled a monster and he could have stood up to him and stopped it. And he didn't. I guarantee you that there are people in the room today who look at Pamela Pinkney and the Satterfield boys and Ginger Hadwin as undeserving of the large settlements that they got. And I don't mean undeserving as in like inherently they don't deserve it as people, but like, well, that was a lot of money for them. Like I can see them justifying to some degree, like So they, they lost they a million bucks, s- they still got eight. Yeah, they never would have seen that amount of money in any other way. Like I've just because we've heard our, that. we've yeah. heard that ourselves over and over from people just like right up until today, honestly, like with people who are friends with Corey being like, Well, you know, that was a crazy settlement for the Satterfields. What does that have to do with anything? It nothing. Congratulations to remember at the beginning with Corey when they all said, like, con- you gotta give him credit for getting that big settlement. Oh yeah, now. that's what he said it in the letter to Georgia. If you read about that yeah, he said- did his job. And then he at the same time though, he's like, I did nothing. Alec was the attorney, really. Right. Right. So which is it, buddy? Right. Which is it? Right. And it just Again, it makes me really mad when it comes when people say that about the Pinkneys and the Satterfields of like, oh, that was a big set. They also don't understand that like with people that aren't born into wealth, money goes a lot quicker and it's a lot harder to and like that money also goes a lot further because they appreciate it more. And it's none of our business how much money they get. Like I what they've been through, there's no There is no dollar sign. I don't understand why people always... And again, like, why why do people look at the Pinkneys and think that they don't deserve that much money? And then, no offense, Eric, but, like, lots of lawyers make millions of dollars, and I'm not really sure what they do (laughs) to deserve that sometimes, especially in this case. So... I just think it's wrong. And again, I mean, this was another thing that I was realizing today that I think we need to come to reckoning with is this old South mentality. I've been really doing some deep thinking (laughs) recently. (laughs) This is my head exploding. Um, But I, I think that there's a basic human core that you understand basic right and wrong and not to hurt other people. And that slavery is an awful, awful thing. But I do think that an evil person who has a completely skewed view of right and wrong or whatever, people like Alex Murdoch, they have the ability to get everybody on board. And it that's scary to me. And that was a thing, not that this is the same thing as slavery or anything, but People that support Corey and people that continue to support Corey... They have a way of looking away from the wreck. Right, and not standing up to right. Right. Not standing up for right and wrong. Like, like, that's why I tried to get into that today, the details, the granular details, because 
you can't, you have to be educated. You have to, to have an opinion, you have to be educated with the right facts. And they're only armed with Corey's facts, whatever he wanted to dole out to them. Look, you know, it was Alex. You know that he told everybody he was duped by Alex. He Today, when he came forward and said, this is on me, that has not been his trope for the last two years, okay? It's a Johnny-come-lately trope. I really wanted somebody to say that, and I knew you were going to say that, but that was the one point that did not come across today in court, which was he had a really long time to fess up and to tell the government what happened and how much work did you have to do to uncover the whole thing? How much... Remember, how much- he didn't call the Satterfields... On, on on September 3rd, he knew that Alex stole the money. He found out. And he even admits it. He never called the Satterfields and said, I was your lawyer. I need to tell you your money was stolen. He didn't call Mrs. Pickney and say, by the way, Alex stole your money 10 years ago. He never came forward. Alex right. stole your money. It's like, I held the door open for him to come <laughs> yeah. in and take the You're money. Yeah. I'm buying into this. Right, yeah. Right. And it's like, I have a hard time accepting remorse when it is forced to that point. That's what um, Justin was saying today. Yes. And yes. Judge Gurgel didn't have any, wouldn't have anything of it. He tried, but I like that Justin came back at him because with the he coyote, was, with the coyote, coyote he's like, if you're not going to hear it this way, I'll tell you a different story. In the country term. A coyote barks and barks until he realizes I need your help to get out of the yeah, trap. So, yeah, a coyote caught in a trap will right. bite you, right. but uh, when it realizes it needs your help, that's when it will start to uh, be nice. Be nice, right? Because I was sitting there thinking, like. You know, what if the boat crash never happened? What what if this? What if that? If the boat crash never happened and there wasn't Mandy Matney who found the Satterfield article, you wouldn't have found the Satterfield article but for the boat crash. But with neither one, they'd still be doing this. Alex would have found another patsy. If Corey had said enough and Russell had said enough, he was already grooming Chad Westendorf. If Chad had said enough, he'd groom somebody else. It would have continued. Right. So going back to slavery just for a second here. So in order to be able to enslave people, people that you're going to own as human beings, you can't look at them as human beings. You have to look at them as livestock, as animals that are bought and sold on the steps of the custom house, right? They did the same thing here because in order to steal from these people, they had to look at them as instruments of that economy. Right. Not as people. They're not as people. And that was why he was able to, so you can hear, oh, he did these nice things for these single moms. By the way, is there like a single moms club in Beaufort that like Corey went to their monthly meetings or something? Like it just seemed like a lot of single moms that he was getting help from, but he gets, he, he's helping these people. And I legitimately think he was, but it goes back to what you're saying. It was transactional. Is it? Yeah. I'm not saying it was. I. It's a question in my mind that I have. Regardless. It feels like it. And I do appreciate that. And again, going back to the mastery of Debbie Barbier, she's like, I asked Corey to read these letters and he didn't want to because it would be too painful. He didn't even tell me about these good acts that he did. Like she put every, like she is literally like you could have a table full of swords lifting one up at a time. And she's like, no, not that sword, not that sword either. Like she's just completely disarmed every single little thing that could come his way to the point where she had gurgle, I think to a certain extent mesmerized by it not one objection from her today on no. the pre-sentence report not one objection on what anybody said in the courtroom not a smart ass remark coming back and then 
not even a response to usually you get a reply. You know, the one side speaks, then the other side speaks, and then they come back to you. And she says, I got nothing to say. I just don't understand how she's friends with Mark Moore because it's like Princess Di being friends with like Ronald McDonald. It doesn't. Yeah, it's a it's an unlikely match. Well, and I I have to say again, two women attorneys. I think that that's why things got done in a very efficient manner today. You saw the best today. of the best of Emily Limehouse and called her Emily Powerhouse. And Debbie Barbier, I told you, is a really great lawyer. It's like there was a perfect outline of today's hearing. Compared to Dick and Jim. Oh, uh, oh or. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously. And what and what you saw, the way they present themselves, how they present themselves to a judge. Look how combative Dick Harputlian is compared to how Debbie approaches it. And like I have ADHD, no surprise to anybody, but I get very antsy and I get high anxiety when I'm in situations or sitting in court when the same things are repeated over and over and lawyers like just are talking for the sake of talking and I get really annoyed. That was the fastest two hours of my entire, it was fast, but like so incredibly intense and so compact. And I was like, I appreciate this. They are appreciating everybody's time. And it was like, we left a movie. It was like leaving a movie theater. I was like, what? what Remember the murder trial. How many times did you hear Dick Harputlian say, look, I'm sorry. It's my fault. Don't take it out on Alex. If I said something to offend you, I'm sorry. How many times did you hear Mark Moore during the sentencing of Russell Lafitte say, Judge, it's my fault. Don't take this out on my client. You know, this is on me. Debbie never had to say that because she never said anything wrong. Right. And maybe you don't say those things. (laughs) Maybe you're representing your clients no matter what, and you shouldn't be saying things that are embarrassing to them. I want to go back to what Gurgle said, though, uh, because it bothered us in Russell's hearing when he said that when we're talking about deterrence uh, for white collar criminals. He sort of it sounded like he was saying that, like, these sentences that I impose are deterrence for white collar criminals, that if they knew they could get in trouble for these things, they wouldn't do it again, which we heard as hot nonsense during Russell's trial. We're like, what is wrong with Judge Gurgle? Why would he say something like that? But I read it differently today when he said it. It, it was he said. The same thing, basically, but what I noticed is he used the word no. If they knew they could would be getting in trouble for it, they knew. And it made me think about the ODC. It made me think about just the state, I guess, judicial system as well. If these men knew that they would get in trouble for this, they might not do it. And what I mean by that is that they haven't gotten in trouble for doing this stuff. People have looked the other way. They, they have minimized what they've done, and they continue to do that. Today, I mean, even I think those people in the room have given themselves cognitive dissonance in terms of like, uh, Corey is this person, not this other person. But if they knew they could get in trouble, so it's up to Judge Kirgle and Judge Newman and all the other judges that might enter into this equation to show that white collar criminals are no, it's not okay just because it looks classier when you do it. But also, but that's another thing that I, it keeps hitting me again is 
these men who are dealing with absurd amount of money, money that it takes people in their entire families and entire lifetime to even think about coming near the number. Like it is so much money. And they, the way that they handled it was just so cavalier, cavalier and disrespectful, man. Like the way that they were like, Oh, that was, uh." again, I just get really annoyed when these attorneys act like these massive amounts of money are just chump change and no matter how much money I make throughout my entire life my parents will be like $20 is $20 yeah. and you are better you appreciate that you know that. what my mother says to me are you saving your money but it's also just good as a constant reminder of like to be grounded to be grounded and to just know that $20 is a lot of money to a lot of people $100 is a lot of money to a lot of people and I hated that attitude of just like oh it's just 100000 there and uh, And again, this was just a heat. This was a massive heist that would have been. It's the best word I've heard you guys say all day. It's a heist. It It was was a heist. These clients were marks. End of story. But what are they doing on these financial crime cases? Why are they in so deep, Mandy? I hope that the federal government is still digging into that. I hope that I. There is just a fraction of what I believe is a network of crimes, I feel like, that have been uncovered in all of this. But we still don't know where all this money went. Hopefully, investigators will step up. Hopefully, prosecutors will get to the bottom of what happened to the money. Because as journalists, we've all tried, and there's only so much that we can do. We have a lot of just outrageous things that have happened recently um, across the country that have really concerned all of us as big advocates for the First Amendment, specifically what happened in Marion, Kansas last week with the raid of the Marion Record newspaper. Um, But unfortunately, we don't have any time to talk about that. We're already very late on this, so we have a lot coming up. So stay tuned and stay pesky, and we'll see you guys next week. Cups down, everybody. Cups down. Cups down. Cups down. This Cup of Justice episode is created and hosted by me, Mandy Matney, with co-host Liz Farrell, our executive editor, and Eric Bland, attorney at law, a.k.a. the Jackhammer of Justice. From Luna Shark Productions. (laughs) 